We hope you were there with us at Spawn of Cyclops Con last weekend and you had a great time. If not, you're in luck because you're going to hear a lot about it, but that's not all. You're also going to hang out with Judge Daniel Joseph Bishop and we're going to go deep into two of his greatest adventures, talk about new projects, make fun of Canada, and more. All this on tonight's episode of Spellburn. I'm Judge Julian, and with me today are Judge Jeff. Hello, friends. Judge Jen. Good evening. And our special guest tonight, returning for a third third tour, Judge Dan Bishop. Is it a third tour or a fourth tour? Oh, I, I believe it's a uh, third tour up here from Canada. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Lots of that. And before we forget, we have to send a shout out to Tony Hogard for the amazing new Spellburn intro. Thank you so much, Tony. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It kicks ass. Thank you, Tony. And f- without further ado, because I'm really thirsty, we are heading straight to the tavern. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it a drink of your most expensive. Tavern talk. So here we are over in the tavern, grab a brew, and I'm turning it over to Dan to give us a, uh, a rundown of his uh, spawn of CyclopsCon and any other gaming stuff in the recent past he wants to talk about. Uh, gaming stuff in the recent past? Well, three uh, sessions of Journey to the Crypts of Orderly Death in Spawn of CyclopsCon. Ooh, that sounds new. It's completely unpublished. Sort of playtest, sort of playtest. I do some, uh, or I did some pre-pandemic DMing, GMing, judging at Storm Crow Manor in Toronto. Big nerd bar. That was written originally for a patron there. And I was going to run it at last GaryCon to playtest it. And instead we got what we got. So I ran three episodes of it this uh, last Swanazak CopsCon. They all went very well. There was an average of one death per, per adventure, except for in the last one. That was amazing. I had this really good group of players. I don't know how they managed it. I think they bribed me by putting me on a podcast one of them did or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Other than that, I do a bi-weekly, every two weeks game. Interestingly enough, we recently did Imperishable Sorceress in that game. And tomorrow at work, I get to do more team building exercises, by which I mean running games at work. How How does that work? Living the life. So are they paying you for this? They're not paying me anything extra for it. (laughs) That's actually better, I think. They're allowing you to do it. (laughs) On work time. Well, they're graciously allowing me to do it over lunchtime. Mm. Okay, Dan, you're taking all the, the romance and mystique out of it now. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, Sorry, we so asked. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Romance and mystique. 
I live in Canada. <laughs> that means I that have just means cold. Days. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I live in Toronto, so I'm actually south of some of the colder parts of the U.S. Yes. Ahem. Yes. Well, now I feel like the next time I play in a Dan Bishop game, I need to play two characters, Romance and Mystique. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, now on the main stage. You're welcome to do so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, that sounds like a good gig. I I, uh, I can't ever imagine doing that gaming at lunch thing in my current role, but um, yeah. Well, uh, you know we're up here in Canada. We're kind of laid back and uh, got the healthcare stuff going for us and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I would say we're like you're like Minnesotans, but just with less guns. Yes, <laughs> I, I would say more like you know Upper Peninsula Upers. Upers, yeah, yep. Well, I know what you're with, saying. With less guns, roughly the same number of moose. Well, enough said. Uh, I also had a great spawn of Cyclops Con and. I will say I played in two really fun games. Uh, one was a Bronx Beasts playtest. I think it was a playtest with uh, Dan Stevie running it. And it was a Island of Dr. Moreau kind of setting. But it wasn't really an Island of Dr. Moreau type adventure, if you know what I'm saying. It was just in that setting. And uh, we had a lot of fun. That was pretty cool. I played a Lynx uh, character, a humanoid uh, Lynx female. Uh, that was pretty good. And was that we, romance or mystique? That was uh, Maya. Well, you know, <laughs> being a Minnesota Lynx, uh, I had to name her Maya. If anybody, uh, anyway, if any Minnesotans may get that. But anyway, um, and then I got to play test with the one and only. Uh, well, I don't know if that was a play test, Dan, but I, then I got to re- play a warrior, of course, in. The Crips Journey to the Crips of Orderly Death. Yes, and, that was uh, a play test. Yes, that was a that was a pretty fun game, Dan. I got to say, uh, I think uh, I think my master stroke was tobogganing down the ziggurat steps on my shield. That was uh, that was my favorite part. From it, from you guys actually did a really good job. You managed to avoid my Michael Curtis beginning, by yes. which I mean a uh, first encounter that could kill at least one character. And in fact, did in one of the three playtests, uh, they just, they completely neutered it. That was a, uh, that was a, well, it was a well-timed uh, critical on the Holy Sanctuary casting, but uh, that, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was a, that was a really fun adventure. We had a good, uh, really good group for that. We had John Wilson in there, who's been on Spellburn yep. with us, as well Yay. as, um, gosh, who else would ever, it was, oh my gosh, am I losing my mind? Was Stevie in that with us? There was at least one other uh, there were there was uh, Diego I think was in there. oh Hector Hector was in there Hector okay I yeah, have I to think look that, it up I, no my I think memory it's... is uh, not as good as it was when I was sober <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying uh, so uh, and we also did I also did some playtesting for Stephen uh, Newton on his new forthcoming adventure the lighthouse at Shipbreaker Shoals ran that for some friends that uh, went pretty well that's a fun little game there. And then ran some ran some various games. Uh, Duke Must Die, which is a really sandboxy one, along with my mutant dungeon crawl mashup game, and uh, an America uh, game as well with a lot of grenades. The grenade game, as I've begun to think of it um, fondly. Uh, and that one, um, 
Oh must no! Sorry, have been a blast. No, that was a that was a blast. But no, in my Duke Must Die game actually we had uh, Tim White, who I believe was um, the uh, father of one of our Spellburn uh, creature submitters. Did or didn't we have the Lamonculus some years ago? And oh his, man, that that's not fair. If you'd put that in the show notes, I would have done some homework on it. But off the I top know. of my head, I can't. <laughs> and I'm totally. That was totally. a Stephen Pogue illustration. Uh, no, the the submitter of um, the stats for one of the dungeon denizens, I believe. Yeah. Possibly. I should have. Excuse me. I'm um, sorry. Uh, anyway, let me let me go quickly. Yeah, the Lamonculus by Tim White and Connor Stone. And uh, that was way back in episode sixty-one, but I got to I got to game with Tim White, so that was uh, that was fun. So Tim, if awesome. you're listening, hello. And yeah. um, anyway, it was good times. Uh, how did you do, Jen? Um, I didn't get any uh, playing in, but I did run. Um, actually, the week leading up to spawn. Um, I ran a pair of playtests for round one of Harley's Slave Pits of the... Is that right? Yeah, Slave Pits of the uh, Lost of Lostagarda. Wow, I can't believe I'm, I'm stumbling on that. I apologize. Um, it's been a really long week, apparently. Uh, so I ran three episodes, shall we say, of round one on Friday. And Saturday... Just kind of tooled around the uh, the gather.town setup that they had had created holy cow the work that went behind that finding the secret doors in in the dungeon below was was an added little treat so let's talk about that a little bit because i know some oh, listeners geez. are going to have no idea what we're talking about um, but it was yeah. I, so i didn't even i went <laughs> i was in the prototype that they kind of demoed like a few months ago, but I hear that it was like fully, fully blown maps. Um, Harley put together the concept map and then Doug did, you know, the official stuff that we saw for what we're calling the dealer's room, which also included some little private rooms that people could play games in. Um, it included an arcade with a lot of text-based games. That was a lot of fun. Um, and it's all set up so that you look like little 8-bit characters walking around, kind of like a cross between Doug Kovacs meets Legend of Zelda. Hmm. And, you know, if you will, with more of a Kovacsian color scheme. And there was a second level down below that was specifically for the road crew, and they emailed out a password for that. And... If you went around and collected, like, there was a little scavenger hunt for... It turned out to be a little shopping list that Cezricon had written out to Elzamon and basically saying, don't screw it up this time. <laughs> and there was a little bit of imagery on one of the scraps of virtual paper that we had to collect. Once we found that, we knew where the secret door to the other dungeon was. And in a nutshell uh they recreated the tomb of horrors entire map for the purpose of this 8-bit scavenger hunt it wow. was phenomenal wow uh, but just the feel of gather town to begin with um you if you had your your mic and video set up 
as you're walking by, you can start to hear conversation as your little 8-bit character gets closer. Yeah, yeah, And then they kind yeah. of fade away afterwards. Yeah. And so there were there were big old parties held on the rug. Um, you could follow other characters or other people. And so someone started the conga line all the way through it. It, it was pretty crazy and silly and really great for someone like me because I'm like, oh, wait, there's someone else I haven't seen in in forever. And so it was a lot like hanging out at the lounge at GaryCon. Yeah, right. It's like right. Jen that just flitting cool. around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Sunday was the Order of Shanna podcast on the Twitch channel, followed by the uh, finale of Harley's Battle Royale tournament and then the closing ceremonies and everything for Goodman. Who uh, who won the tournament? Anybody we know? Um, it was it was two people uh, because it really was simultaneous. It was the retributional strike for uh, mm. being hit, and they both did each other in at the very last moment. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I I know that it, it was like Stone Skull and Skull Crusher or something like that. Please don't <laughs> murder me if I got the names wrong. There were so many character names crossing my my screen that weekend, and my brain has been a sieve. So Stone Skull and Skull Crusher, if you're out there, something. Uh, <laughs> you can you can email us you email us in, and I'll I'll give your skull name and your real name on Spellburn. We'll congratulate you more officially. And uh, we'll make Jen say sorry that she didn't get your name. I'm already saying sorry, man. <laughs> no, I mean, they did I could great. Have, I could have had it, too. It's hardly your fault. but um, I was there. I should have had it written down. No, well, it's totally okay. on me. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll blame you. <laughs> it's all good. I know, I know my buddy Trevor was playing in one of the early rounds. So I didn't know if he would have made it. Oh, yeah. Made it uh, he... He got into my uh, table for round one because it was held. I was playing at like a or running at eleven p.m. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, Julian. It was Pete Doroshenko, John Wilson, Hector Cruz, and Aaron Creter who carried you through that adventure. Oh, or you carried them. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Ah, exactly. Very. Yeah, thank you. Exactly right. Awesome. It was Hector. Well, then I was in a game later with Hector. And he played Kiltara the Cheetah, uh, and a new pal of mine, um, uh, Will Keller, uh, played a mutant who got the defect of uh, involuntary telepathy and was broadcasting his thoughts all the time. And he had a crush on Kiltara the Cheetah, so every everywhere they went, people were like, "What? Hey, what's this? What's going on with this Cheetah? Why am I?" Anyway, it was. Uh, once more, romance and mystique. Romance and mystique everywhere we go. Speaking of romance and mystique, <laughs> Jeff, how was your spawn of Cyclops Con? It was, um, I, I, I didn't play or run any games in Spawn of Cyclops Con. However, I did run two different um, social hours over Twitch where I walked around the virtual conference hall. And I would like to echo what Jen was saying about how it felt strangely similar to being or to like walking around Gary Khan. Obviously it doesn't really fully bring that full experience, but it's the nearest I've had in a digital environment, which was really nice because I was walking around and bumping into people that I literally would have been bumping into at Gary Khan and like catching up with them and saying hi. So that was, that was a good time. I also ended up in the, 
secret passageway down into the Tomb of Horrors dungeon. And um, mostly I was following somebody named Stefan, not Stefan Pogue, another guy named Stefan. Um, and he was um, showing me like the ways through he had found. So we, we, we got pretty deep into the dungeon and that was pretty cool. Otherwise, since we last recorded, I've um, done a few more sessions with my weekly D&D game. Um, that one is just, it's so fun. It's getting so goofy and wild. Um, we now have like um, some pretty major gods as um, major players in the storyline right now. So like Bast Set and Lord Ainu, the Lord of Time, are all kind of vying for the, the, the uh, control of the players. Uh, so that's some fun stuff. Otherwise... DCC Lankmar um, Blades Against Bandwidth is starting back up again next week. Um, it'll be on Sunday. By the time this airs, I'm guessing our first episode probably will have already come out, but um, or at least our episode zero. I think we're doing an episode zero before we do episode one. So if you want to tune in on Sunday nights onto the Goodman Games official Twitch stream. Um, me and Brendan and Carmen Vance and Dak Altamac and Tim DeShane and Haley Sketch. And I feel like I'm forgetting one other person. And if I am, I feel really bad for whoever that one person is I'm forgetting. But, um, or maybe not. Maybe that is everybody. And then we just have a rotating special guest. But anyways, come by, check it out. Should be fun. But that's what I've been up to. You know, the person that you forgot is going to be Writing you along with Jen, it'll be the person who won. Yes. <laughs> skull Crusher and the Skull Bones. Um, what, is it the same time, Jeff? What, what time is it? Yeah, Sundays, 8 p.m. EST. Cool. Cool. Well, excellent, excellent, excellent. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm so lying. Monday, uh, Sundays, 5 p.m. EST. 5 to 8. 5 p.m. So- yeah. <laughs> Big difference. I was, Big, Big difference. Yeah. I showed up and it was all over. <laughs> Awkward if you're that extra player. Uh, well, thanks, guys. Great to hear about the gather.town stuff. It's really uh, pretty crazy and different. And uh, it, it's nice to have something to kind of bring us together, even though we're all... And huge, huge kudos. I want to make it public to Dieter Zimmerman who brought it to mm. our to the family's attention. Yeah, so. absolutely. Thank you, Dieter. Um, that is a that is a real find and a real difference maker. I mean, that's not the kind of stuff that we've all been at a. Well, I don't know about all, but we've all been in some of these uh, tabletop events, uh, cons of all different stripes, and they're all great and fun, and I'm glad they're all going on, but, like, wow, that's uh, pretty unique stuff there. Yeah, so. when even the grognards are saying, whoa, this is really cool. If this happened more often, I'd come to more online cons. I didn't know about it at all. Well, <sighs> you don't read your email updates. <laughs> well, it's, sorry, work. I mean, like, I didn't yeah, get I know. that chance to run. But work is really busy right now, and there's a Kickstarter thing going, and yes yes well we're going to hear all about that kickstarter in just a minute but first it's time for us to go to the mailbag and get a couple emails i call upon the flame to summon you who delivered the message for me i came here to give you these facts summon email 
All right, I'm going to reach down in here and uh, I'll pull out the first one, and it looks like it has Judge Jen's name on it. Well, that, that figures. I feel like we need a whole bunch of like papers to rifle through for sound effects here. This one didn't have to come far. Uh, this is uh, this one's from Dennis Beecher, who uh, could have driven his note over to me. Uh, he says, Judges J, does the apple-sized sphere of force created by the first successful result of the force manipulation spell hit automatically, or do you require a subsequent roll to hit after a successful casting? If you require a roll to hit, how do you modify the attack? P.S. Judge Joan and I agree it is an auto hit. Well, I have some thoughts, but I'll let you guys chime in first. I'm getting out the spell, but I always make people throw it. Page 143 in our uh, collective hymnal tome. So maybe I'll change my mind and decide I've been a jerk all this time, but I make I make people take a roll to hit. Yeah, I feel like I... That's what it says, but maybe it doesn't. That's why I need to pull it up, too. It, it says, doesn't actually say, I think that you need to roll the hit, but it says you are allowed to throw it at a target. The caster ca- creates an apple-sized sphere of force that can be hurled as a weapon. It can be hurled immediately or remain in the wizard's hand for up to one round per caster level, and it inflicts 1d6 with a range of 25 feet per caster level, which is pretty interesting because that would mean, like, you can whale that thing pretty good if you're at fifth level, uh, you know. Right. Um, so I'm thinking the first question there, it can be hurled as a weapon. Yeah. As a judge, if I look at anybody, at any creature's stats and it says as a weapon, that means that they may have picked up a, a particular weapon and are using it as a weapon. And thus there should be an attack roll. That's my take. At least I for agree. part one. I agree with you completely. And I would say, um, additionally, hey, they're already. it says you can throw it immediately, which is already pretty kick-ass, because then you've been able to cast and throw it in the same round, right? Which is which is already pretty sweet. So I think for, a first, for the low result on a first-level spell, it's not too bad. Especially and when it's not particularly an attack spell. Yeah, also right. true. Right. As for the second or third question, I suppose, if you require a roll, how do you modify that attack? Um, I would say, well, definitely the agility modifier because you're throwing it. Right. As for the range, um, I would say there's no penalty to, you know, if it's a third level caster, 100, I'm sorry, uh, 75 feet is your natural range. So... I wouldn't penalize that as like a extra long hit or something. You know, I, I, w- I would call that in range, obviously. Yeah, I think that's what the spell implies. Yeah, that's that sounds right to me. I mean, they, and I they would go-, go so far as to say add your strength bonus to the damage because it's hurled. So you think it would be an auto hit? No, 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 no. Make your oh. attack roll with agility, but okay. your strength goes to your damage, just like with a hand axe. Oh. Oh. It's a hurled weapon. Your strength applies. Ah, hmm. Intriguing. Hmm. So interesting. if you are a weak wizard, ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jokes on you. Um, I would say for its, 
extra step of diligence, uh, maybe check out the older conversations on the Goodman Games forums, because a lot of times the authors were including notes as to intent for how they wrote it. You know, in cases like this, it may not be 100% clear by the word immediately that it would be able to be thrown the same round. But whether or not it requires a role to throw it and make contact, that I think would be part of the intent that got left out in this wording. Or maybe it's just kind of gloriously ambiguous in the spirit of old school games and everybody everybody's table is going to be a little different. And that's okay. It is in DCC, yeah. Plus D&D, you can... Uh, you, you expect it to be the same every single time. <laughs> well, not old D&D, but maybe new D&D, I think is pretty... Uh, yeah. They, right. they got pretty legalistic. I, I think we hit that one uh, with, with a stick long enough. Yep, yep, I so agree. So there you go, Dennis. Thanks for the email. Send us more. I agree. Plus, I just want to mention on that one, not totally done hitting it with a stick. You can still <laughs> throw it into melee and hit the wrong person, which is great, which I love. So oh, yes. Thank you. That and would be excellent. excellent. Can, uh, that time you have to say sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. Exactly. Sorry, eh? Important. I like the British. Sorry. 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 As opposed right. to the Midwest. Oop. Nope, nope, nope. And also, since it says you can throw it, that also means that you can choose not to throw it, which could mean maybe you want to do it cream pie style in the face. Um, <laughs> there are things you can do with it should you choose not to throw it. Yes. Maybe you can just collect them and like create like a beautiful tower of these apple-sized balls of force. You could make an <laughs> explosive. Beautiful. You could make an explosive apple pie with it. See, see. You could potentially use it as a brace or something to stop a trap. Hmm. 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 Well, so so listeners, uh, write us your uh, most interesting use for an apple-sized ball of force per the twelve result on uh, force manipulation. Then that, that, that is sounds... that like a crab apple or is it like a uh, yes. golden delicious? It makes a difference. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking a full-on Fuji type thing. All right. Yeah. All right, I'm going to reach in here before we really have beat this to death. I'm going to reach in here and take one from the uh, from November here. Judge James writes us, uh, Dear Spellburners, I just wanted to send you an email to say thank you. Back in the halcyon days of G+, I was an active DCC judge, community member, even ran road crew games at my FLGS, had an article in Damn Magazine, and put out some small third-party products. But a few years ago, a close friend of mine had a negative personal experience related to DCC. And in an act of solidarity, I didn't feel it was right to play the game anymore. Well, fast forward to a few weeks ago, that same friend and I got talking, and inevitably that incident came up, and they very sagely said, don't hate the game for one person's actions. I fondly remembered my time in the community, but figured I'd been gone too long to... Uh, excuse me, been gone too long to really jump back in. Well, apparently my patron was watching over me because literally the next day, a different friend who didn't know the other guy messaged me out of the blue and said, hey man, I know you have a patch jacket and I've got some patches you can have. He sent me photos of some road crew swag patches he had and I told him I like DCC, but I haven't played it in years. And his response was a very simple, why not? So in an effort to reach back into the past and recall the good times, I listened to a few episodes of Spellburn, and you know what? You can go home again. 
Hearing you judges speak with passion and enthusiasm about the game was the final straw, and I decided it was time to go home again. I ordered a new core, the DCC annual, half a pound of funky dice, the humble bundle that was running at the time, and it's like I never left. I joined the DCC Rocks Facebook community and even messaged a certain judge to get advice on what to pick up. Now I've got a fistful of gamers who rolled up some funnel monkeys, and in, and in a little over a week, I'll be taking them through sailors because, you know, it's sailors. DCC is just as inviting as I remember, and it feels damn good to come home. Judge James. Well, thanks, Judge awesome. James. Um, sorry, it was kind of, well, it was kind of a long story, but it's a hard, it's an uplifting story. It's nice to have a good story from time to time. I don't have much to say except welcome back. It's like you never left. We are glad to have you back. And now uh, die as a zero level character. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with that, Julian? <laughs> All right. I do like the reaffirming and heartwarming stories, but I kind of miss when John Williams would write uh, in to give us a hard time. Oh, wait. Okay, here we go. It looks like this one's from John. Jeff, would you like to take it? Sure, sure. I'm um, unrolling this little haiku here. Um, <laughs> full, dark, no, full dark, no stars feedback. Cleric 101, never not bless. <clears throat> Cleric 102, always recast bless after being boosted by bless. <clears throat> Cleric 103, bless others and then bless amulets. <clears throat> Cleric 104, cast holy symbol. Yes. Cleric 105, win. Hopefully. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Um, I will say there, there's a, there is a GM like 101 in there that is don't give pregen bless. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I don't have any, I don't have any, um, uh, you know, anything to poke any holes in John's uh, feedback. I think it's a hundred percent right. I mean, it sounds like he's figured out how to win dungeon crawl classics. So I feel like we're, we're done here. Well, you so, know, somebody has won. He, he Skullbone and skull crusher are our winners tonight. <laughs> um, so, and James, but I think, uh, I mean, so, so as a judge, if, you were, if you're playing one of, uh, one of these high-level things where Bless really escalates, I mean, do you just not give it to a, uh, do you just not give it out to the cleric? You're running, like, an eighth-level game at Gary Khan. You've run that several times, Dan. Are, yes. there, is there, are there some spells you're just like, no, it's just too nuts to even have that in an eighth-level no. game? No. No. The only thing that I ever actually avoid at all are occasionally fine familiar and occasionally wizard staff and only if I don't have the time before the con figure out what they got hmm. because nobody wants to have wizard staff as a spell and not have a staff nobody right. wants yeah. to have fine familiar as a spell and not have a familiar or arcane affinity I love yeah. arcane affinity yeah so if you if it's a, if it's a thing that would build the character and you don't have the time to actually go to that level of work then that would make a difference. But otherwise, no, I'm, I'm good with whatever spells you have. Dan, building on that, when you're doing pre-gens and a character has, um, has patron bond, do you pre-roll that and predetermine the patron? Oh, yeah. Well, if you're doing your, your basic pre-gens off of uh, Purple Sorcerer, you can pick the patron anyway. And there are several fine patrons that I wrote that are available on the Purple Sorcerer uh, app so definitely cool smooth i like that <laughs> yeah i w i will say that i have 
many times rolled up the familiar on the spot. It's pretty easy. I think I've got pretty fast with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes about three minutes, but um, yeah. I think my only problem with this is Cleric 102, because recasting Bless after being boosted by Bless, I feel is a little bit uh, trying to work the system. So as a judge, it's my job, I feel, to um, just make sure you're you're a little less inclined to be casting Bless and maybe a little more inclined to cast something like Sanctuary. I, I think casting Bless after being blessed is going into territory of like, um, doing restore vitality for spellburn. It's it's just it's an exploit exactly. that the gods frown upon. Probably precisely what I was going for. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. I th- I got you. You has I, vocabulary. <laughs> no, I, no. I picked up exactly what you're saying. So, um, yeah, one hundred two. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, from a gamist perspective, one hundred two is sound. But um, as a judge, I'd probably say. Meh. Your god is getting tired of your stuff here. I mean, how many, how much, what are you just going to cast bless again and again and again? You know? Like, oh, but holy symbol is like a really awesome spell. So I, I'm right behind that one too. No, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that my uh, mega priest had um, holy symbol that day. So uh, I'd have to look back at the sheet. <laughs> so that one I don't take, but bless I did have, and that was really stupid. So, uh, but that was a heck of a fun game regardless. So go listen to our full Dark No Stars episode if you have no idea what we're talking about. We were playing 10th level characters and uh, I go died about a third of the way in, but continued to work the ref for like the next 90 minutes in in an awesome way. Anyway, uh, that that was a lot of fun. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for the emails. I think we're slowly, uh, we've lightened the bag somewhat, and then we took a hiatus and nobody wrote us any letters. So this is a great time to uh, send us some emails. And we are always available at the band at spellburn.com. With that, I think it's time to go over to our mighty deeds. Let the combat begin! Why behold our hero? So you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty Deeds. Here we are in Mighty Deeds, and before we jump in, I am going to say, just because some people get a little wound up about such things, that we're going to talk about two of Dan's uh, greatest adventures, Arwitch Grinder and Imperishable Sorceress. These have been out in the community for quite a while. However, there are spoilers ahead. Many, many juicy, greasy spoilers ahead. So, uh, you know, you have been warned. They are especially juicy and especially greasy in the Arwitch Grinder. (laughs) That that (laughs) is a true statement. (laughs) So, uh, so don't write, you can write us and complain about just about anything, but really please don't complain about spoilers because we'll just, we'll absolutely just laugh with no guilt, all three of us. Okay. Enough said. So, Let's go, and uh, I guess I'm going to still take these out of order a little bit and because that's the way I wrote the show notes, and we're going to do the Arwitch Grinder first, even though it was published in 2014, 14. and that was Crawl number crawl Magazine number 9, the, the well-missed Crawl, uh, and it, uh, it filled pretty much the whole issue except for a tiny little mini-encounter thing at the very end, if I recall correctly. But he sure had guts. 
He, but he sure had guts, which is even maybe more gross than the Arwich Grinder, uh, ironically enough. So, um, so Arwich Grinder, Dan, is this the first uh, Shutter Mountains adventure? Because it is a, <laughs> it is a uh, sort of backwoods, very shud folkish kind of, uh, I don't know, Appalachian Trail kind of uh, setting. Yes, it is, because it's based off of Lovecraft, and that's the area. Um, so I wouldn't call it the first Shutter Mountains, because Shutter Mountains is the Michael Curtis ver version of the Appalachians. But I would say absolutely it would fit. Yeah, you could. I, Jen, I mean, you've probably played way more Shutter Mountains stuff than me, and you might be in a campaign right now, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yes, I'm just a little brain dead, and uh, we didn't. We haven't played for a couple of weeks, so I'm like, crap, I forgot to give them a shout-out again. Uh, having run Arwitch Grinder, I would say that this is far more uh, Crawl Thulu than it is Shutter Mountains. It, I mean, That's it is fair. straight Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. That's Which, not, not to say it wouldn't fit in the Appalachia, but to me it is far, far closer to Lovecraft's uh, just... The, the small holler vibe there than, say, the Silver John setting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's less Wellman, Manly Wade Wellman, and more Lovecraft, obviously, right? Yeah, if you were going for early Cheddar Mountain and Silver John, you would have to go into In the Prison of the source of the Squid Sorcerer. Yes. Uh, Mermaids from Yugoth, which actually refers to Silver John. Nice. Hmm. I'd forgotten about that, hmm. that that reference. Well, I remembered it because I wrote it. So that's, that's the only reason I know. <laughs> well, that's that's why good. we keep you around. Daniel. No, that's pretty good because the, the, some of our guests on here, when we're asking these questions, like, I don't know, man, that was like eight years ago. I have no freaking idea. So that's, <laughs> I'm actually, I appreciate that. So uh, I'm curious to, so Jen, you've run it. And Dan, I presume you've run it several times. I mean, is this a regular? Once or twice, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. there you go. So, what do you I've guys... run both of these adventures we're covering. Oh, Same. very nice. That's brilliant. You're a, you're a man of rare discernment, Jeff. Is it, is <laughs> Wait, a, uh... Julian, are you telling me you haven't? I have not read. I have not run either of these, but I have. I'm going to take your judge card away, Julian. I have played through Imperishable <laughs> Sorceress. And so it was I understand there is a uh, opening in Spellburn. Jeff, Jeff. <laughs> there is, yes. Yeah, but For... you have to be an actual J, not an he honorary is. J. He's a, he's a Daniel J. Bishop. Uh, it's there in his name, yeah. Uh, I think we I think we made him honorary last time, but it's not official. We don't um, even have T-shirts yet. It's all good. Don't worry, Dan. We're having a um, we're having a meeting without Julian tomorrow, and we'll we'll send you the Zoom link for it. That's good. Is it just I'm I'm looking forward to my severance and uh, <laughs> yes. Oh wait, wrong job. Okay, so um, so the is this a smaller funnel party or is it the regular kind of twenty to twenty four type thing? I think you can run it with either. I've run it with more people with fewer people. It works either way because it's the tight constraints of the area that you're in forces you to string out your characters and they don't all get to attack mm. yeah that's that's uh i can see how that works because you're in a house so i guess for those who haven't read it if there's anybody left who hasn't read it because it's a pretty popular adventure 
Um, it is a, you know, it is kind of takes place in this sort of remote backwoods type house. Most of, uh, you know, about half of it above ground and half of it kind of in the dungeon under the house, I guess. Yeah, I think kind of House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, yep. Except for the corpses are alive. Yes, the corpses are alive. Also, I want to say, uh, so I, I ran this back when I was living in New York as a part of the DCC NYC meetup group. And then a few years later, I was reading uh, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward for the Appendix N Book Club. And while I was reading it, I'm like, Kerwin, Kerwin, how do, why do I know this name? <laughs> I'm like, and, and I'm like, and, and I'm convinced I'd read it in a previous HP Lovecraft story. So I'm trying to figure out like where in Lovecraft I've encountered the Kerwins before. And then when I was chatting with Hoy about it, he's like, Jeff, they're in the Arwitch Grinder. And I was like, oh, yes, duh. It's <laughs> almost <laughs> like the author lifted names directly out of Lovecraft and just filed <laughs> not even the full serial number off, like one digit off the serial number. <laughs> that was intentional. I went way out of my way to have names that would resonate with anyone who knew those stories. I love it. I love it. Now, I was thinking it was closer to the Dunwich Horror. That one is one of them. Dexter Ward is one of them. Uh, the Rats in the Walls mm. and the Picture in the House. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. If you've read Dexter Ward, Jeff, which I know you have, the Damned Things in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, it's... um. I think the the creepiest thing as I was going back through it is how it's um, how the how it is almost a real world setting, right? I mean, it's obviously set in this kind of faux medieval, or I mean, it could be medieval, but it could just as well be nineteenth century or almost early twentieth century, right? It's a house and could be in the early U.S. somewhere in a remote place, just like Lovecraft said his stuff. And that kind of normalcy actually makes it worse, I think. It makes it a little weirder and more it's horrific. the darkest thing that I have ever written. When I finished, and it was written in one shot, like it was like one sitting writing. Hmm. And when I... Really? Wow. Yes. That's wow. impressive. And when I got done writing it, I had to get up and shake it off. It was dark. Like it practically read it, wrote itself. Like it was... From the base material and from a basic idea of the house, it practically wrote itself. I knew what I wanted to do every step along the way, and it's pretty horrible. I mean, let's let's face it; it's it's. Uh, yeah, I'm Lurleen alone. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank Lurleen you. is one of the most fun characters to run. Yeah. Like, kind it's of. It's horrible. I mean, yes. Yeah. I actually ran that game at a convention in Toronto and there was a new parent who sat down to play and I mm. had to say, this is not the game for you. Please, like, do not subject yourself to this. <laughs> what, what kind of, if, when you have run it, what kind of warnings do you put on this thing? That was the only time I ever put a warning on it. Mm. I mean, I don't run it for really young people. That's good. I think the youngest people I ever ran it for were like 14, 15. Yeah, I think I had some teenagers at my table as well. And, and I'm when they proud to say out, it squicked them out. <laughs> yeah, when they figured out that Lurleen, the parent, and the baby, they was that was that was my middle child and their friend, so that was fun. <laughs> then they went to school the next day, and I discovered that they had a really cool dad. <laughs> i also really like that um in concluding the adventure um it, the, the the very first thing you say is the best thing the pcs could do for the village is burn the house down <laughs> yeah yeah 
It's true. In true Lovecraft fashion, actually, right? <laughs> and it's happened. It's happened more than once. Sure. I would say about 50% of all parties burned out of stone. And I think it's great that you make space for that rather than trying to come up with reasons why they can't burn the house down. You know, I, I feel like yes. a lot of writers would go through great lengths to make sure that the PCs wouldn't do something like that. And I love that you're just like, hey, like that's potentially part of the story. Let them do it if that's what they want to do. Well, well yeah. And you know what? Um, sorry to switch gears slightly on this exact same thread, though. Dan, you did it when we were playing at Spawn of Cyclops. You did an interesting job with that in that first encounter that you mentioned where you had a first encounter, as you called it, a Michael Curtis encounter <laughs> that's going to kind of has a potential wipeout a party member or two. And we just aced the, just luck of the draw, the cleric aced his uh, holy sanctuary role and that basically turned those guys right, right off the bat. And instead of trying to finagle a reason that they couldn't be turned or it couldn't be sanctuary or, you know, whatever, some other nerfing that you could have done, obviously there's no end to nerfing you could have come up with, but you just said, okay, you know, whatever they turn around and go away. And then we went on with the adventure, right? I mean, it yeah, was not, not, not quite that easily. I mean, like they were upset and cursed you and, and snarled and left, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they just hung up their hands and said, okay, but they couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It was a good, edit. what am I going to do, steal that from you? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's good to honor the, um, the, you know, the player's agency, right, and their, and their success, right, instead of uh, just trying to, you know, obviously work your way around that. Well, let's say that that encounter went the other way, and they jumped in, and the hound tore your throat with a 20 and a horrible critical hit. I'm not going to nerf that. Exactly. Hmm. And Dan, you took the words out of my mouth because I was literally about to say, if I have the ability to decapitate one of the players with a crit roll, then they also have the same ability. They also should have the same ability to mess with what I have planned just as much as I have the ability to mess with what they have planned. Uh, DCC is a game where the judge has to think as well as the players. That is one of the things that makes it so refreshing to run. Mm hmm. Makes us polish up our improv skills too. <laughs> so I'll go. I'll go back to the Arwitch Grinder for a second, and I'll say one of the most notable things to me about it, as I was rereading it, was that you don't really. It almost reads like a Lovecraft story, and I don't know if this was intentional or just kind of came out of the way you that you wrote it as you described it. That you don't give the actual. Uh, machinations up front the way typically we do in the adventure background kind of section so that the judge knows what's going on and kind of how he's going to unwind it to the players right instead you sort of you just sort of say well they have this counter then they go to the house then you know they find the you know then you start laying out the uh, quote-unquote dungeon it's just the house at this point but so it actually, the adventure, if you read it from the beginning, you know, just in a linear fashion as a reader, it actually reads like a horror story, not an adventure that you're planning to run, in other words. And it unfolds for the judge at the same time, which is kind of cool. I think it's important that adventures are interesting to read. Yeah, I, I, I think so too, because I bet they, I don't know, what do you guys think? I bet they get read, you know, 10 times more than they get judged or... 50 times more How than easily. they get judged? I mean, I don't, you know, I couldn't even yeah. begin to figure I, out. I think the more fun you have reading it, the more likely you are to run it. Very true. 
Very, very and, true. And that's not just my stuff. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, look at Sailors on the Starless Sea or uh, or Doom of the Savage Kings. Those things are fun to read. If 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 an adventure is a delight to read, very well written and constructed and so forth, and never gets run by anybody, is you know so is it is it good or bad or does it matter? I mean, is it their literature? I believe I believe their literature anyway. But at least you got your money's worth in the story. Yeah, and we were actually this we were just chatting about this recently on an episode of the Appendix N Book Club because Hoy was talking about how his favorite book growing up was Deities and Demigods, but it probably probably never used it at the table. Hmm. How like it's basically a book where you're just like giving gods hit points, but like <laughs> as an artifact, it was such an incredible source of inspiration that like he got his money's worth right there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that. We were talking yeah. about the uh, ability to burn down the house at the end. At the beginning, there's also the, they might not go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's okay. They're just not cut out to be adventurers. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm really curious to see how many of the zero-level player or characters who have been through this module actually continued on to further adventures as uh, level one. Well, it's happened with me with persistent games, so... I, I was just curious because I know it's really popular as a one-shot. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit about the hunger spirits in there, too. Because mm-hmm. as players begin to twig onto the potential storyline, you will get players who will say, wait a second, I never ate. Yep. And uh, yeah, when I first ran it, which was, again, for my uh, middle child and their, their friend, it was... Their friend was instantly like, oh, I never ate, and instantly shut down. Don't say that to him. He's got something up his sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Which you did. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was brilliant. Um, yeah, no, very, very well done. Um, yeah, there's a, there's, a portion in, there's a portion in there where the uh, comes up that the, that the, uh, these cannibals in the house have supplied sausage to the town in some of their famines and everybody in the village has eaten it, i.e. the funnel characters. And uh, <laughs> so, so if the players assert, well, my characters have never eaten that we didn't eat that meat, then there's a whole, there's a whole little side sidebar about, Oh, well then perhaps they're actually ghosts who are, you know, going to, and then it goes down and it's yeah, quite funny. And you could um, potentially end up making super characters that way if you if you t- if you gained this sorry if you gamed the system because you get the mental stats of the one character and the physical stats of the character it replaces the first convention where I met Brendan LaSalle I ran that game at uh, Nexus Game Fair in Milwaukee and I thought I broke his heart when he realized how bleak it was. Like he's, you know, Brendan, like he's running games all day long and all day long and all day long and just full of energy. And we got to the end and he's going through our witch grinder and he's realizing that there's nobody to save. And there's this, <laughs> I, I felt so bad. It's it like kicking me. a puppy, right? <laughs> yes. It didn't stop me. No. But, no, no. <laughs> oh, poor Brendan. But just watching him go from high energy to, oh, my God, there is nothing I can do here that's any good. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if they burned the house down. So up here, I think uh, Crawl number nine is out of print, actually. Is it, are there any thoughts to uh, reprint this ever? 
expand it, new art, patrons. <laughs> Anything you'd change? Kickstart it. Is, you know, kickstart the art, which, you know, the... Okay, uh, there, is a, there, are, there are a couple of things. First off, there are references to the Arwitch Grinder outside the Arwitch Grinder. Mm, good. If you go and read through Shinobi 27, The Curse of Mistwood, mm. you will discover some familiar damned things are involved the trolls, at the yeah. end of the world. Yes, mm-hmm. but the, but no, there are damned things literally in the Hags, uh, in the Hags castle, and they are directly from Arwitch. Nice. Uh, I'm also working on something that uses the same god, the god of cannibalism, hmm. and I've considered writing a reverse Arwitch. Do hmm. tell. But start exactly the same way, but oh. the Kerwins are innocent, and the player oh. characters, assuming they're in the Arwitch grinder, go out there and slaughter them. Oh, wow. That might be too Wow, bleak. talk about dark. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. Also, for the very small overlap of Dungeon Crawl Classic fans and RuPaul's Drag Race fans, which I happen to be, uh, the woman on the cover of the module looks a lot like Adore Delano, who is one of the drag queens on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, and that, wow. always, that, that always cracks me up. <laughs> Could be inspiration. <laughs> who knows? So... If you're listening to this and you know who Adore yeah. Delano is, take a look at the crawl cover or vice versa. Google Adore Delano and see if you agree. By Mario T. And I do really like this cover. It's, it's an awesome piece. It really and, is. And the wraparound with the uh, sluggish in the back is yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Are we, are we R-witched out? It's, uh, it's pretty disturbing. So I think my, I, and especially. The it most is definitely disturbing, a grinder. <laughs> Yeah, the most disturbed. Well, then there's a a pun in there too, obviously about the grinder. But no, 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 no. And I have a good segue, which is that I one thing, and this is something Julian was kind of talking about earlier about how what a joy it is to read uh, this particular adventure for me. If you present me with a module and you've got more than one page of backstory, I promise you, I'm doing nothing more than skimming it. Like I, that is not that is not the joy I get out of reading adventures. And I love that with both um, our witch grinder and the imperishable sor- sorceress, like you just hit us up with some with some basic information we need, and then you say go. Yeah, true. But you know they're very so. It's really interesting that you say that, Jeff, because the imperishable sorceress. I almost feel like it could be ten times as much or five times as much, but Dan just chose to. You don't need that much. I'm just putting it in a paragraph because there's a lot going on here to unpack. Yeah. But all that detail is not actually important. Plus, you were exactly. on a you're on a five thousand word count, right? So, <laughs> uh, so you know, I mean, but still, uh, I, I think that uh, boiling it down uh, makes makes good sense. So, yeah, good segue. Appreciate that. Imperishable um, Sorceress was actually one of the funnels that I started my old old. FLGS campaign with. So some of the characters that survived this went on to sailors where other zero levels joined them. And yeah, there there's definitely some backstory with Ivrian. And (laughs) no, it's not a it's not necessarily a funnel though, is it? No. It wasn't written, but every DZZ adventure is a funnel. Exactly. Colossus Arise is a funnel. I gave the I gave the players the option. And for once, they chose the funnel. Hmm. I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. 
Hmm. I have hmm. actually run that as a funnel, and it works great. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. That would be pretty different, and yet not necessarily that much different. It means you don't get, like, detect magic or things like that, or mighty deeds, even. Hmm. But, yeah, it uh, it made them have to think outside the box in a few places. So, so for those who are unfamiliar, Imperishable Sorceress um, starts out uh, with, let's see, I'll try to really condense this. There's a you know there's an evil sorceress who has um, who is trying to build an evil immortal is body. Evil such a harsh word. Chaotic. If we if we <laughs> just and misunderstood. Unkind. Oh, you know she's unkind. Oh, yeah, she's an unkind sort. Yeah, unkind is nice. And also, Ivrian also seems like a familiar name. Landmark, <laughs> 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 yes. Yes. Yes, that yeah, is yeah, a Fafford and the Grimoser nod. And there's a there's a little <laughs> bit of. Elizabeth Bathory in there and stuff like that. Yes. You know, we, we can't help noticing. But And um, also, those who are looking for this adventure, you can find it in both the Free RPG Free RPG Day 2013 collection and the DCC RPG number 89, Chaos Rising. Yeah, indeed, which is, uh, which is where I ran it, or where I uh, read it. Um, and if you're going to pick up either, you should pick up Chaos Rising because there are a lot of good DCC adventures in that one. Oh, they cram yeah. in yes. like seven of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean it's got all the classics: Elzamon and Glipkiria. Yeah, Elzamon's fantastic. It's like the free and, RPG um, day consolidation. Jewelers. Tower at a time. Jewelers, um, undulating corruption. Yeah. 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 Lovely stuff. Um, I, I love that it's weirdly semi-linear, but not entirely. You can run through that dungeon almost as a line without doing anything on the side if you can survive it great but there's if you don't go when you kind of kill the boss thing which might be the sort of the climax of the thing what is which the is boss a thing well i'd say in a sense the demon at the uh, over the bridge right hmm. but then there's a whole stairway that leads you up to the standing stones that actually where the spells written down and it, you might never go there i don't think my when i played through it recently i don't think we even went there and uh, so it's not exactly super non-linear as much as there's a lot of choices, even though it seems to have kind of a linear layout. There's plenty that you can do in the uh, the offshoot rooms, though. And of course, that's where you would encounter, um, say, Ivrian herself. Yeah. Well, um, no, of course. Of course. Or say I, all of the information you need to make good decisions. Yeah. So, so... Uh, well, so decisions a, anyway. <laughs> so there's a there's a ghost sorceress, and she wants you to go get the the star stone from the demon down the hall that she needs to put her soul into, so she can go into the immortal body she has constructed. Right, and there's more Do to it. it than that. But um, but you know that's kind of what it is. You explore and find stuff, and find this demon, and find a magic sword, maybe, and fight the demon with it, maybe, and all that stuff. Has it so? So this is great, Jeff. You've run it, and Dan, you've clearly run it many times, and it sounds like Jen has run it. Yeah, mm-hmm. once or twice. People actually <laughs> stupid enough to put the sorceress <laughs> into... That is a really, really, really unkind thing to say. Are people... No, I'd say, e- I'd say evil. evil the, answer is, the answer is, of course, yes. Really? Um, yes. Oh, wow, it's, you must have role-played her in a much always, kinder fashion. It's always, not always stupid. Sometimes, for example, they hit that room first because, there's, you know, the doors in there are hard to figure. Nobody wants to touch something they don't know what it is. Yeah, so, yeah. usually. 
you've got to work at figuring out the clues and find out how to get into the, those extra rooms. So yes, some players meet the quest giver and then <laughs> assume that performing the quest is the point of the adventure. Others decapitate her and toss her the, toss the head into the ravine. Where it lives forever. <laughs> yeah. That was a sad, sad day for the one that uh, was proffering her a jewel and taking it to also be kind of a betrothal. Yeah, there, there, there are so many potential ways that players can deal with that. I oh, mean, yeah. I have had I have had characters make it through everything and then actually complete that quest, and that is where the player character deaths start. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's really unfortunate for them. I have also had because you know everything gets back, wants her stuff back, but the portal thing up on the top, she's got more control over all this stuff than anyone else once she's back in the body. Hmm. So I've also had characters who became effectively servants of the room, directly hmm. or indirectly, and I've had characters who think like, "Oh, I will say I am the servant." And accept the stuff that she gives me and think it's going to be okay when I don't do what she says. You know, she's nastier when I play her than I think when you play her. I'm really curious on this one, Daniel. What Was there any, uh, like, one standout bit of Appendix N that inspired you for this whole overarching story? Okay. Uh, when I first started doing it, I just read The Black Flame by Stanley Weinbaum, which... Mm. Nice. If memory serves, if this was now years back, if memory serves, it has to do with a character who is awakened after like a hibernation and is extremely beautiful and how that affects the people around her. So there was that in my mind. At the same time, this was the first thing that I writ- wrote for Goodwin Games. So I was oh, yeah. told in no uncertain terms at home that clearly if I was going to write it as a Canadian, there should be some sort of Canadian aspect to it, which is why it is in that frozen northern boreal land. <laughs> Wait, really? are you just are you just taking the piss, or is that true? No, that's true. That's absolutely true. No. <laughs> well, so that's that is awesome. why it's there. And uh, like the Shutter Mountains, like like the Arwatch coming before the Shutter Mountains that came before the Forlorn North. Hmm. <laughs> now I'm taking the piss out of Michael Curtis. Because of Canadian content laws, do road crew judges in Canada have to play a certain percentage of Daniel J. Bishop modules? <laughs> Trevor Russ, this is for uh, you. However, I will point out they can also play Marzio Muscular module. Oh, All right. Yeah. But he's just, he feels more like a guy from New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, well, I ain't telling him you said that. <laughs> the same province, same country. I'm sorry. Again. I I was never given this kind of assignment as a Minnesotan. I think it's colder here, as you were saying before. Oh well, yeah, he lives farther south than I do, I believe, close to the uh, Lower Michigan border. Does that mean anything I ever write has to be set in a swamp? I don't like this game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You, no, um, thankfully America doesn't have content laws, but Canada does have Canadian content laws. It actually does. Yeah. Really. But that has to do with like broadcasting. It doesn't have to do with. Exactly. A certain percentage of songs played on the radio have to be by Canadian singers. A certain percentage of television shows have to be Canadian-created television shows, things like that. But what that actually means in Canada is that if you're producing things, you have support. Yeah. And and, uh, Australia has a similar Not me, but other people. (laughs) Exactly. No, I I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Or look yeah. at it this way. Have you ever watched The Big Bang Theory? I have. Okay, that theme song, if it wasn't for Canadian content laws, the bare naked ladies would never have made it that long. Oh. When hmm. I got, you know, like my, my friends in the States said, oh, this is great. Who is this? I've never heard of this. Hmm. There you go. Well, we've learned a lot tonight about uh, <laughs> Canadian content laws as well as... Um, so you thought you were going to take the piss out of Canada and instead Canada is taking the piss out of you. Well, yeah, it wouldn't be the first time, I suppose. Um, the real question is, when are we going to all go to Toronto for a convention in the post-COVID era? That's, um, uh, that's my goal. My, my bet would be summer. <laughs> so, yeah, know, right. The <laughs> biggest convention in... In Toronto is Fan Expo, which is not that? a fan expo. It ah. is not particularly a gaming. It is a genre. Uh, for gaming, there are a few of them, but none of them are like GaryCon. Mm. For Toronto, I think OSRCon is probably the biggest one when they run it. So, so Dan, what? Uh, tell us what you got going on right now. You just had a. Is this Kickstarter just over? Did we bring you on this show right in time to make sure nobody could? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it just funded today. <laughs> but I can brag that no, I backed it. No, 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 It didn't just fund today. It finished funding today. It mm. funded within an hour. I apologize. Uh, the pledges got pulled today. Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw it as well. Well, tell us a little about it. Uh, that is the Inn in the Forest. If you are familiar with the Gong Farmer's Almanac, you know where it started. Mm. Uh, and that is an expansion on what I had started to write for the Gong Farmer's Almanac. And life got in the way because of COVID and work and things like that. And Shiloh Woodman did this great map that deserved, frankly, a lot more detail. And now it is going to get it. And most of the things that I write have some reference to Doctor Who in there somewhere. Hmm. Not the two things we're discussing tonight. So there will be at least some reference to Doctor Who if you can find it in the forest in the end. I mean, sorry, hmm. in the forest. <laughs> Uh, to forest in the end. Well, that's like, a different. That, uh, that's a big end. <laughs> yeah, that's how I, you know. Well, it's bigger so. on the inside. Yeah, that's uh, that's Doctor Who reference. Sorry, I gave it away. And oh, this cover is awesome. And multiple it's styles, so cool. not just one style of art, but multiple styles. Hmm. Really good stuff. Um, the color goals got met. So, if you looked on my blog right now, you'd see one of the color tests around the Kickstarter thing in the campaign. In color, it looks phenomenal. So that's all good. The elevator pitch is the woods do not like you. And frankly, because you are human, they don't like you at all. You remember all those Victorian paintings where they show the nice cultivated lands in the forest look like devils lived there? They'd be mm. all dark and gloomy and ready to kill you the moment you walked under the trees. Mm. So the inn offers a refuge to your poor player characters being native in the forest. But it is a thin point in space and time where the past and the future bleed through, causing what appears to be initially ghost story stuff, but is stuff that you end up interacting with. Hmm. If you are familiar with uh, William Hope Hodgson or Ambrose Bierce or any of those writers, hmm. you'll get hmm. the idea. It is not as dark as Arwitch in terms of its... I, I say it's not as dark as Arwitch. There are some dark things in it. But there's also some funny things in it. There's nothing really funny in Arwitch. Arwitch is one of those things where it's funny gloomy. things happen while you play, <laughs> but it's not inherent in the material, whereas I think some of the things in the material are funny. 
Although maybe the baby in the attic is a little bit funny. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's an invisible baby in the attic that eats your head. I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah, the invisible, the, the spit-up is funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Judge Dan, thank you for being with us. It's been a great show. I appreciate your uh, your insight and both these adventures. I, I can't believe that you guys let me back after the first two times. Well, you know, uh, I can't, you know what's even worse is I can't believe we're going to invite you back after this, and yet I'm sure we will. Yeah, so. Jen keeps telling us not to. She keeps threatening to leave the show if we have you back again. And we're like, Jen, it's okay. Like, calm down. Stop throwing such a diva fit. Yeah, yeah. those who yeah. know me know that, you know, only two of those <laughs> words are true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks, for Dan, for being here with us. And uh, everybody, time to dump us some more emails at band at spellburn.com. Leave us some iTunes reviews. Follow Tony's lead and do some cool bumpers for us. And uh, Harrison Hunt did us one last uh, just a few months ago. That was also great. So by all means, um, Harrison and Tony, just also give us more because we know you got them. So, you know, keep keep it coming. Consider it the audio version of the Gong Farmer's Almanac. It's a community project. Uh, With that, uh, nothing more to say, but thanks, everybody. And hopefully we'll see you at Virtual GaryCon and maybe a DCC days and then eventually around a real table in 2020, but we'll talk to you before then. 2020? I'm thinking 2022. No, I'm going to the Inn in the Forest and I'm going to come back out in 2020. We'll see you in 2020. Oh, never mind. We'll see you in (laughs) 20. You could could set it in the future. Somewhere in there. <laughs> roads, okay, this is, where we're this going, is, we don't need roads. <laughs> this, this may be the most hosed outro of all time. Really it, looking forward I'm to the next Daniel <laughs> Make sure you roll the dice or the game. Yeah, don't well, let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. That's and horrible, Julian. Game on. <laughs> You're a horrible human being. <laughs> You've been listening to Spellbird. Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.